Welcome to Once and Future Authors, Changing Lives One Book at a Time. I'm Stephanie Larkin, an author, independent publisher, and book coach. And each week we will be discussing processes and strategies to get your book finished and published and meet authors and publishing experts to tap into their experiences and expertise. There is one book out there that can change your life, and that is the book you write. So welcome aboard. This podcast is produced by Red Penguin Books, an independent publishing company working with authors of all genres. Whether you have a manuscript all ready to go, a book still stuck in your head, or perhaps even hundreds of handwritten sheets of loose leaf shoved in a drawer, visit redpenguinbooks.com and unleash your inner author. Welcome to the show. Was wow. Absolutely wow. Um, Thank you. The second one's actually not out because my launch date was uh, supposed to be April 29th, but um, it was postponed. The publisher decided they're not publishing any books actually between or releasing any books between. Gotcha. So this book in my hand, I'm it. I'm the only one who can get that. Yes. You have the, an advanced reader's copy. (laughs) Um, so uh, the new date is, um, I'm trying to get clarity, but I think it's um, June 19th. Okay, June 19th. So we can't yeah. be pushing the king and the quirky that much quite yet. Well, it's, it's available for pre-order. Oh, but, it is? Um, oh, good. I'm yeah. glad. I'm glad On Amazon and at uh, Regal House Publishing, which is the publisher's website. Fantastic. So it is available for pre-order. And then the second they, they green light it, it'll be sent to your house. Yes. Okay, but we know for sure that Out from the Underworld is available, and you can get that, if you have a digital device, you can get it today. So if you're climbing the walls after all these weeks, you can get this one right away. <laughs> so, so tell me first, because um, as a memoirist of all the different genres, and you're, you're such a beautiful writer, you could have written anything. What made you pick memoir, or did it pick you? It definitely picked me. <laughs> Um, so you read that book, you know, the story, um, it's a unnecessarily absurd, uh, story about, you know, a rough upbringing, um, in Long Island, um, with my funeral director father and in and out of foster care. Um, and, um, you know, it wasn't obviously all roses. And so one of the ways that I found my way out of the underworld is um, by reading. And so I just would go to the library and just read. And I don't know, I just found I didn't really have the patience at the time for fiction as much. I mean, I liked fiction, but I had um, much more of an attraction to nonfiction where people's stories of struggles, um, uh, you know, were, be, were inspirational to me. And, um, and so I would read those and then it would also put my own life into perspective. And I would realize as much as I felt like things weren't perfect, um, you know, that's exactly what they were. They weren't perfect. And it gave me a way actually to have a sense of humor and, um, reading even people who didn't go through struggles, but who just, you know, had a sense of humor, um, was another, um, attraction for me. And so I just kept reading the nonfiction stories and the nonfiction narratives until I realized one day, wait a minute, I should tell my story. Um, and so, um, that began my journey as a memoirist. And so I would say the genre picked me. 
All right. So it wasn't like you were, did you ever write in any other genre? I mean, even in the third grade or something? Oh, I, I don't know. I mean, I definitely was attracted to writing too. Um, I remember, um, you know, hanging out with this big hair crowd in high school and we all, you know, we got fake IDs and we went night clubbing and all of that. But so now I get to hear all this stuff. <laughs> but I would spend my time, you know, writing down in my journal. Or I just remember, like, I, would, I was always late for school. I would take a taxi to school and I would just be sitting there writing. Um, and then I would take creative writing electives. Um, anyway, so I guess I was attracted to writing, too. Wow. Okay. So, um, as far as fiction or nonfiction, I wasn't trying to necessarily make up stories. I think, I think because of what I went through, and one of the things in my story is that my mother mysteriously disappeared from our family, and um, it was sort of the catalyst to set off the events um, for this unusual childhood. And so nobody would talk to me about what had happened to her. And so um, there was also this mother longing that went on for me um, during that time period, especially, you know, as a teenager. And so I would write, you know, letters to her or, um, you, know, you know, imagining conversations with us or, um, you know, whatever it was. I mean, I guess in a way it was nonfiction. It was creative nonfiction. I just didn't know it. I don't even know if that term was around then. You're right. <laughs> Probably not. Probably not. Um, when you're writing memoir, you know, it's, it's opening up a Pandora's box uh, in so many ways. When I work with people who want to write their story, I mean, possibly um, legally, shall we say, or because it involves other people and truth, but also a Pandora's box in your own heart as you're getting all of these memories out. Was it more difficult than you thought it would be from an emotional standpoint or was it cathartic? I mean, I think during those teenage years and honestly, even in my early twenties, I, um, there was still a lot of heaviness and a lot of pain. And, um, so I would write and, you know, maybe it was a way for me to just keep strengthening that writing muscle, but mm -hmm. I wasn't really getting anywhere as far as a story. And I think that I just learned for me personally, and this may not be the case for everyone, but I don't like to write from a place of pain. I feel way better having gone through an experience, overcome that experience psychologically, and then I'm able to, from a healed perspective, write about it. Um, and that distance even allows for, you know, an objectivity and humor, which is very important to me to put in even the works that explore, you know, darker themes or upsetting themes. Um, so cathartic? No, I think I emotionally had to, you know, go through things in life and that was cathartic. But then I think that as far as the writing, I was in a balanced, healed place. Mm -hmm. And to me, it was about, um, you know, how can I tell this well? That was important to me. I didn't okay. want to just get it out and, and, you know, and, and publish it, you know, without thinking twice about it. I, I, you know, that, that was important for me that I wanted to, you know, do for someone else maybe, and I'm not saying I did, maybe I did, maybe I didn't, but at least I feel good about the work do for someone else what some of those other works had done for me, which was, I mean, those voices 
were for me very balanced and healed voices okay. that wrote about these horrific experiences. Yes, yes. Um, and that was what made it all palatable to me. Okay, okay. I, I, so you were actually had your catharsis, shall we say, or gone through it before, and maybe yeah. you were journaling, but before you started writing, as opposed to, I mean, there are, there are memoirists. I, I think of uh, Joan Didion, who wrote um, Year of Magical Thinking. She was in the year of grieving when she wrote. So, you know, a different writing as working through the emotions, you wanted to get to a place where you can put them in a proper perspective, and even, like you said, find the humor in it. Yes. I like that. Sure. I like that. Yeah. But I also like that you were using writing while you were going through it. Maybe not, maybe that's yeah. not the thing that's published in here, but right. the act of writing was part of your journey. And then after you went through the journey, you could look back with the eyes of an author. And yes, exactly. Very well said. <laughs> Just knowing that there, you know, I, I deal with people who are desiring to write their stories, mm -hmm. you know, and, and sometimes it's something that happened. And sometimes it's something that is happening. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they want to write while they're still in the throes of that um, emotionalism. And sometimes it happened in the past. So it's so good to hear you talk about one way of doing it, but that you were actually writing through the whole thing too. Kind of opens a door for people, gives them permission of, you know, okay, you don't have to publish while you're raw. Sometimes people think they're supposed to do that, that they're supposed to publish while they're raw. Well, I mean, that's what blogs are for now, and that's fine. And there is, you know, I mean, blogs could even replace the journal, or there are other journals. And I think that's fine. I mean, I think it is important to keep connecting, you know, right. with the pen and the page, um, because there may be something that's raw that comes up. You know, there may be something intense that comes up um, that later, when you go back to, um, you know, you'll be able to use. But I think um, memoirs, it's so layered. And mm -hmm. that's the thing. So it's like, yes, get it out, get your pain out if you want. And then maybe later check in with that. But if you can write from a place where you are sort of done with that experience, you know, that distance for me as a writer is important. Okay, I like that. I like that a lot. Now tell me about memoir writing and other people, family, friends, people who are involved in the book. Um, was that an issue with you and, and how'd you handle it? Um, well, I mean, that is, uh, you know, it's definitely tricky. Um, I don't know. I think I somehow over the years have developed this um, idea that it's better to make me look bad than anyone else. <laughs> um, and I think that's why I like, you know, self-effacing humor or whatever. Um, and, but I think that writing about somebody and telling the truth, it's a very delicate issue. But if you do feel that it needs to be told, I think there are some ways that you can do that, that, um, you know, can save yourself and this other person and the relationship possibly. So, um, so for example, I had, you know, a number of foster, I don't know where to look, Stephanie. Am I supposed to look at you? Or <laughs> my little box in the corner? Yeah, I, 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 I'm looking at you. you look? 
I'm looking kind of, well, you're sitting to like that side of me. So I'm kind of looking at you. I'm, I'm just going to look at you because that feels like a normal. That looks natural. And you know, yeah. we have our two little boxes <laughs> next to each other. So we can look at each other. Hi. I don't want to see my box. Okay. <laughs> um, all right. So I had like a number of foster mothers, for example, and you know, some of them were not that great. I'm not going to say that they were. Okay. Um, and so, you know, how do I write about these people? I mean, I, yes, I could trash them. Obviously you can use fake names and all that, which I did. Um, but that wasn't even my intention to trash them. You know, it was more about the experience and how I was shaped by that experience. And so, um, you know, one of the, one of the women who made us learn prayers and, you know, I mean, so used, they, they believed in corporal punishment, um, you know, and there was that belt strap that was always looming, you know, by the foyer. Um, you know, what did I, I could just tell you the horrors of it, you know, which I did, mm -hmm. but I also was thinking like, was there anything redeeming about this person whatsoever? And what I realized was she thought she was doing an amazing deed. Like she believed that this was her duty, you know, as a Catholic woman to, you know, help these children. And one of the ways she believed to help them was through corporal punishment. And another was, you know, force feeding them, you know, religious prayers that they had to memorize. And so just having that awareness that she believed right. what she was doing was valuable was important, you know? And then when I actually, you know, talking about humor, you know, like if I had, if I was searching for a redeeming quality, it would be that. Yeah, I can't really think of anything else. <laughs> you know, and so at least I tried, you know, at least I tried. Um, in, in another case, there was a woman who, um, you know, wasn't necessarily physically beautiful and had some very strange hygiene habits but there were actually a lot of redeeming qualities about her. But that one whole physical issue, which was very difficult for me as I was approaching puberty to deal with, um, you know, how could I, you know, I'm listing this, I'm, 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 I'm telling you about this, but how do I even make that redeeming? And one of the ways I figured out how to do that was I actually remembered a photograph of her that was like sitting in the living room and this photograph of her was, you know, one of those old time touched up photos where, you know, the color is sort of off, where it's almost like black and white, but there's like, you know, rosy cheeks and lips or whatever. Yes, yes, yes. And she actually looked very pretty there, you know? <laughs> and so I talk about like, she was once kind of pretty. You know? <laughs> and so, you know, just, you know, it doesn't have to be like a major way, but I think basically you're writing about human beings. They are fully dimensional. No villain is purely a villain, you know, no angel is purely an angel. And if you can just kind of get all the facets of a person's personality there, even if you can't find any redeeming qualities, if you could just tease it out in your brain and go, can I find any redeeming qualities? Maybe this, maybe that, maybe not. At least you're trying as a writer. And I think that that, you know, may help your relationship, may not, but I think it'll actually help your, you know, reader trust you. I, I think that that's fabulous. I think I think that's great as a writer that you wanted your characters to be multidimensional because, like you said, people are not just one-sided. The good always have a flaw, and the bad always have something, you know, redeemable. Sure. But I think on a, I'm just going to say on a purely psychological level, I think that that was very valuable 
for you. And I think all of us can kind of use to remember that, that people in our lives that might be all horrible, you know, if you can find that one thing, especially if it's someone you need to deal with on a regular basis. I mean, if there are people that you can cut out of your life, you know, that, that's often the healthier choice is, is, is cut them out. But, you know, there are those other people that are thorns in our side that finding that, that writer's multi-dimension, shall we say, mm-hmm. could actually help our sanity. I mean, who knows? Yeah. With our, our listeners, there might be someone who's stuck in the house with one of those people right now. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> finding, finding that, you know, uh, or even what you said about one of your uh, foster mothers, that it was her motivation, that you could say, okay, everything she did was terrible, but you knew that at least in her own, you know, might've been warped way, she actually believed that, that she was helping. You know, that she actually believed that this was the right thing to do. I guess that's much more redeemable than someone who in their heart is saying, I am going to do all the most horrible things on purpose. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, I mean, I don't think that she was a sadist. I just think that she, you know, (laughs) had very odd rules and she believed that there was, there was a reasoning for them. Right. Wow. Wow, that's that's a lot for our, our, you know a new writer to think about. I had a writer I was working with, who um, you know so hated their sibling, and they just hated them so much that it wasn't even a matter of what they wrote about them in the book. They wanted that name changed. They didn't even want to give them the the grace of of having their name in the book. And of course, sure, sure, whatever you want, and. Um, was interesting because just as we were about to publish, and this was more of a a personal memoir, um, a personal project, you know, as opposed to a, you know, a big publishing thing. But just as we were going to publication, the person's sibling passed away. Mm. And um, then all of a sudden they wanted the name back in the book. (laughs) Like, you know, now that they're gone, I was like, they didn't have the deal. Yeah, like that was a 180, but you know, I know that that's why I said memoirs have their own set of Pandora's boxes that if you are writing pure fiction and you're just, you know, exercising every creative bone you've got, you're avoiding a lot of potential pitfalls and you as a memoirist deal with a lot of these things that, that, you know, our viewers might want to know about, which is interesting and how to deal with them. You know, that's, that's always hard. What would you tell someone that wanted to start writing a memoir today? We have people listening. They're locked in their house. They got a new notebook. They want to write. Well, I mean, you know, just talking about, it depends on what stage you're in. Okay. So if you're in that stage where you are still just trying to, you know, Uh, you know, have that cathartic experience or where you're trying to even understand your emotions or get in touch with your emotions. I mean, of course, you know, just write freely and just journal whatever comes out. Um, But if you're at the point where you've been doing that, um, or sometimes the danger of doing that is then you have 500 journals and you don't, can't make any sense of anything and don't know where to start. um, You know, that's a different uh, you know, place uh, to start from. And I think that, you know, organizing your material is going to be, you know, what you're going to want to work on. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think no matter what, um, 
I told you I have some tips that I wrote down. I, I offer these to my own students. I, you know, I'm planning to get this typed up and maybe send out somewhere. But I think the number one thing that I would say is, and this sounds trite, but it is, it is important, is reading the best of the best. Mm. And, you know, I think, I mean, there is, you know, we're not reinventing the wheel. There are so many amazing memoirs out there, you know, from classics to contemporary. And if you find, you know, the award-winning ones, you know, the ones that, you know, everybody agrees upon that, you know, these are the best, read those, you know, because they're, they're going to offer, you know, ideas for organization. They're going to offer ideas for construction. Um, that would be like the number one thing. And I, I always say it's like, you know, if you want to build a house, you're not going to just start, you know, putting together nails and lumber, right? I mean, you're going to actually learn something about carpentry, right? So that would be the way to learn the carpentry of the trade, I think. Um, the next thing I would say is it's great that, you know, you want to you wanna bolster your ego, right? but you have to calibrate it too, right? So yes, everyone has the right to tell their story. Everybody's story is important and our stories need to be told. Um, but once you do that, and once you have enough of an ego to say, I can do this, um, I would then check your ego <laughs> <laughs> and just understand that if you want anyone else to care about it besides you, right? You're gonna have to kind of work hard at you know constructing this thing so that it reads well to people um and you know william zinzer says it's a combination between like craft right and art and so you know reading is the way to learn how others <coughs> have done it um but you know you'll want to do that if you if you're looking for something that's not a personal project but if you're looking for something that you want to actually publish and, and develop a readership for, <coughs> um but one tip I would say is to tell your story orally. Mm. I mean, to sit down and to tell your, your good friend your story, or possibly even better, a stranger, because mm. your good friend's going to understand your backstory, right? Mm. And your good, good friend's going to understand like what your voice is already, but a stranger's not. So if I you know, were to tell you a story, right, and you don't know anything about me, I think human beings are natural storytellers. I'm going to work really hard to explain why what I'm saying means anything. Um, so, you know, that's obviously one of the tricks in memoir is honestly, you don't even have to go through struggles. You can go through nothing. My second book is a lot about nothing, but it's, <laughs> but it's, you know, me making a lot of something out of nothing. Right. I mean, Judd Apatow. Doing very well, by the way. <laughs> Judd, Judd Apatow says that we have to, you know, be aware and try to find the story in everyday life, you know, and that's what he does for his, for his comedy scripts. He tries to take like, you know, something that happens or when he's in the middle of a moment, he's like, this feels like a movie. We all have those moments in our lives. This is crazy. I mean, right now, I think we all feel like we're living in a movie, right? Oh, so I know. What are we going to do with this? <laughs> right? So I think that um, if you tell, tell the story or you tell somebody, guess what happened to me today? right? And you tell what happened, you're not going to just say, as a reporter, here are the events, you're going to make sense of those events and try to make it whatever you're going to do, if you're going to make it funny, if you're going to make it insightful, I don't know, right? But you're going to have to try to make something of this material, right? Um, next, I would say, write your back cover blurb. Oh, good, good. Because 
that's the other thing. We're writing, we're writing, we're writing. Oh my God, there's all this material. What do I do? Right? Well, again, that's just going to be an extension of telling your story, story orally. If you write the back cover blurb and write it objectively, even like a third person, um, which is what I did for my story, then you can go back to your writing and be like, well, this doesn't fit that story. And this doesn't really make sense to that story. And so to write your back cover blurb, I would say, ask yourself the five W's, which is who is this story about? What does this person want? Why can't they have it, <laughs> right? And when and where does this take place? Reflect throughout, why is this important? Why should the reader care? How can you tell this in a way that the reader will care? Um, but also find your transformative moment. Mm. Where's your aha moment in this, in this memoir? Where's the moment when all of it sort of like, you know, the question you've been asking from the beginning is answered. Um, you know, the moment that things took the turn and you realized what, you know, I mean, that's sort of what you need in a memoir. Um, because then the reader is going to take their own experience and they're going to, you know, impose it on that story. And then they're going to take something away from their own lives. You need a double perspective, which is I'm the writer now telling the story. I'm the person in that healed place, in that well-balanced place. That's how I like to do it. Telling you about when I was a train wreck, when that happened. But that train wreck character is a character. So you, uh, need, the, you need the character arc of that character as well as the insights of this person now. So the double perspective. So there's really two characters going on. Um, I would start with an inciting incident, right? The moment everything changed, the moment the question came into your head, the moment you saw things from a new perspective and new events began, you know, an inciting incident. Why should fiction writers have all the fun? We can start with an <laughs> inciting incident too. Absolutely. Um, I would identify your theme. Okay. Okay. So, cause you can go wider and honestly, editors, you know, want a theme. They want something to connect the story to. And so, you know, I mean, educated, right. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that's the theme. I mean, right. you, she, she could have written about anything just, you know, she could have taken any theme, but she took educated mm -hmm. and she stayed on track with that and she went wider with it. Went right. wider with the idea of education. Um, so, you know, that's not easy, figuring out your theme, but that's important. Hopefully when you're writing your back cover, cover blurb, you'll say it explores themes of blank, blank, and blank. <laughs> um, and uh, I can't read my handwriting for the last one here. That's hilarious. <laughs> Why? I can't, I don't know what this says. Maybe have fun. I don't really know. But I think that's enough. <laughs> Oh, that was my, a transformative, transformative okay. uh, <laughs> moment, but I blended that in with reflection. Yes, you did. Those are my tips. What fabulous tips. I, I think, we, gosh, how can we not get started? Uh, some, some of my favorites, I mean, they're all favorites. Writing the back cover blurb. I think that that is such a great, a great image for someone to, to realize what you're saying. You know, you're talking about themes and moments and organization. But when you say to someone, write what goes on the back, and that, that succinct is going to drive how you pull things together. I think that's such a great visual for people to get. Um, 
I've often said to people that the most important text that you write in your entire book is right here on the cover, the title. And the second most important is this, <laughs> because this, what it's on the cover, if we're thinking about uh, the act of us in a bookstore, for example, the, the sole purpose of this is to make me pick it up mm -hmm. and turn it over. That's mm -hmm. the whole purpose. And once I turn it over, the purpose of this is to make me buy it. You know, same thing on Amazon. This is the attraction. Well, the this. purpose when you're writing your back cover blurb in the writing process is for you to get the inside now to basically match that, you exactly. know? And that's what I mean about telling your story orally because that's the first step. If I tell the story, I told my story about from the underworld many, many, many times. Did you? Okay. Okay. But, and everyone would ask me, how are you guys so normal? Me, my brother, and my sister. And I, I didn't hear that question for many years. Like I heard it, but I, I wasn't answering that question. Okay. And so that's one of the things when I went to sit down and to write it, I, and it took me a long time because I didn't write my back cover blurb. But honestly, when I started writing my back cover blurb, thinking about submitting this, I started to realize, wait a minute, this story needs more work because mm -hmm. I'm not really doing what my back cover blurb says I'm doing, you know, which is basically showing the character arc of the three of us getting out of this, right? And um, also posing questions in the beginning that are answered by the end, okay? And so I didn't realize that. And also in my second memoir, it's, uh, it's yes, it, it was about marriage of opposites. I started writing about, and I just started journaling. I just started writing. And I was doing it, and this is, I think, a great thing. I mean, you gotta have to do it from a place of joy. I was doing it from a place of joy. I mean, my husband would say these things, and I'd be like, does he not even hear himself, right? And I would write these things down, and then another layer appeared where I realized, oh, I think why I'm finding this so interesting is I'm literally the opposite of him. So, okay, so I started writing about how we're opposites, right? But what's the story? Mm. Right, Vivian Gornick says there's a situation and there's a story. That was my situation, a marriage of opposites. Another, another situation that was going on was we had, you know, when we met and were together, it was a true belief in soulmates, right? But then how do you get to a point 10 years later, you know, like I remember when he was going away when we were soulmates and he was going away on a business trip. And it was like, I, I, I mean, Stephanie, I could not believe I had to live a week without him. I was like, How's, how am I going to survive this week without him? We, would look, we were looking at each other. We're like, what are we going to do? Right? You know, fast forward 10 years. <laughs> 10 yeah. years, seven weeks, and you're just like, <laughs> get out of the house. <laughs> how did that happen? So that was another question I asked. Anyway, long story short, <laughs> layers, right in that back cover blurb, made me realize what the story was. And that was never in a million years when I got married at 34 years old, did I think that I would lose any sort, I was a bit small business owner, totally doing my own thing, living in my own house, right? Never in a million years did I think I'd reach this point where I like felt lost in a drift and like my independence was compromised. Uh -huh. And I was like, all right, how did that happen? And <laughs> asking, so I really asked like 10 questions in the opening mm -hmm. and I answer them through this lighthearted, I hope comical <laughs> journey. Um, but what I realized is, you know, right in that back cover blurb, 
really helped me understand what it is I'm trying to say. Yeah, that's a fabulous tip. I mean, all of your tips were fabulous, but that's so crystallizing. And boy, are you so honest to admit <laughs> that when you, when you were writing this and thought, you know, yeah, this is really good. When you wrote the back, you said, yeah, not so much. I missed the point yeah. or whatever. That's very honest. It was a lot, that took me five years, that book. Five. It was a process. Yeah, it is a process. And, and, and that alone is such a, a door opening statement for people who are working on things, you know, to realize that it's a process. Yeah, I think that's different between memoir and fiction because fiction, you know, you really can shape the story and shape the characters and shape the events to create these arcs and you can map it out. Mm -hmm. But when you're dealing with your own material, I mean, there's so many layers you have to understand psychologically, you know, what you want to say, you have to, you have to work on what voice and characters you want to, you know, present, right? Because there's a portion of yourself you might even present in a character, not maybe like all of you, right? Um, anyway, there's just so many, so many layers. It's, it's definitely something that I would recommend people reading every memoir they can, you know, reading the best of the best and just trying to understand how others are doing. And if you can find one that really speaks to you, like, oh, wow, I wish my memoir was like this. Oh my God, I'm so envious of this writer. Excellent. Read it again and figure out why. What is this person doing? How is this person doing it? Any, any favorites you want to share some titles? I mean, for me, when I, you know, was beginning the memoir journey, I mean, there were, there were definitely a number of works that just, I would, I closed them and I was like, uh, oh my God. You know, like, first of all, why should I even write? I mean, when yeah, I yeah, it, is that exactly. You know, why should I even bother? Um, Ellie Wiesel, um, mm -hmm. I would say Mary McCarthy, Memories of a Catholic Girlhood was just one of those. Um, George Orwell, um, he wrote an essay, Such Such for the Joys, and I was just like, oh my God, I, I need to figure out how to do this, which is to write about something painful, but like with humor and brio and from a distance, mm. right? Um, I mean, I, over the years, have loved Roxanne Gay, David Sedaris, Philip Lopate, Vivian Gornick, um, Joan Didion, Tobias Wolf, um, I, uh, Joanne Beard, if I haven't said her already. I just read the opening to Glennon Doyle's memoir, Untamed, oh, okay. and was floored with this extended metaphor that she used. It was really brilliant. Um, so I'm gonna download that because I just read the sample. Um, I mean, those are, those are a couple of names. Yeah, that'll, that, that'll get us through a pandemic, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've actually been reading about how difficult it is for people to read during this because of you know, a lack of attention span. Absolutely. And because of a, a, you know, people are, are worried about survival and they're worried about paychecks and worried about... So reading, I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm feeling it too. I'm, I'm preferring like shorter pieces right now. You no, know, and, and there will be people when this is all over and someday this will be all over, um, who, you know, spent all of this time and managed to, you know, redecorate their house, lose 10 pounds, cut uh, sugar and, and write five books. And then there's going to be other people, you know, everyone's different. Everyone's different. On the one hand, I have people who are, are, you know, they were supposed to publish, you know, in November and the book is already done. They, 
they pumped it out because we've been locked up. And and still others who can't even write an email. <laughs> because you know what? I um I'm I gonna that. be I'm gonna be doing a um a monthly column for a local uh paper here, um, local magazine, and I just submitted a piece and basically um for June. Uh, I don't know if it would be relevant by then, but, um, you know, oh, basically it's the idea that it was my lockdown observations, but, you know, there's a famous spiritualist um, who's, you know, talking about how, like, this is an opportunity for humanity to go through a portal and mm -hmm. for us to transform, as you're saying, you know, lose the weight, whatever, right? <laughs> and then, you know, and I, it's like, I listen to that and I'm like, yeah, you know, but there's nothing really wrong with being in a hole either. Like, right. You know, it's like, oh, no, absolutely. We'll go through a hole. I, I'm, I'm okay in the hole. Like, it's fine. You know, th this is, this is an okay place for now. Like, honestly, if I just sort of maintain yeah, <laughs> who no. I am and what's going on throughout, that's all I can ask for for myself. You know, absolutely. um, I'm just not putting the pressure on. I can't do that. It's just, mm -hmm. Yeah. And everyone is different. You know, some people would, would beat themselves up afterwards if they didn't do that. But, you know, right now, health and self-care, that's really, you know, yes. physical and yeah. emotional, mental, you know, that is what is paramount right now. Whatever that means to you. If that means that your house is spotless, good for you. Uh, you that's know, not what that, that doesn't mean that for me. Yeah, no. <laughs> and I'm a golden retriever and wow. Yeah, and, and I'm the person who really didn't cook before seven weeks ago, and now, you know, you oh, get really? to what I've made. I mean, it's just unbelievable. So, you know, everyone's different, but but don't compare. Don't think that yeah. just because, you know, your friend is, is Holly Homemaker that you need to be also, you know. and yeah, just I never was, and I never will be, and I've accepted that. That's right. fine. And just because there are people out there who are going to turn out five novels when this is over, and there's others of us who can't even read one. So, you know, everyone is different. Everyone is different. But in case you are one of those people who can get some reading in right now, um, Out from the Underworld is a fabulous, you know me, Heather, I'm always out there. Let's, let's You're awesome. reading. Thank you so much. Because we are locked up. And you can read about Heather being locked up in this book. <laughs> <laughs> and, and she is thanking goodness that the pandemic didn't happen when this was happening, because I can't even imagine if those two happened at the same time. Yeah, that would, that would not have been pretty. That would not have been pretty at all. And if this goes on past June, um, The King and the Quirky is available for pre-order. And um, I don't know how long this is going to go on, but if you are looking for a qualitative memoir, and, and our expert here advised that if you want to write well, you have to read. These are fabulous places to start you. that reading journey. Um, I can't thank you enough for all of these tips. I mean, boy, have you inspired a whole generation of writers and, and given some actual valuable, you know, nuts and bolts, you know, not just fluff, but let's, this is how we're gonna do it. And um, I, I think that that's incredibly empowering for people, not just at this time period, but in all time periods. Like you said, everyone has a story and everyone's just story should be told. Now, that doesn't mean that every story, you know, needs to, to be, you know, sold on a bookshelf, but, 
you know, learning how to tell your story, feeling comfortable telling your story orally to other people, journaling, getting it out, moving the pieces together. And, and yes, maybe taking that next step and writing that back cover blurb and figuring out what your themes and the through lines are. Fabulous. And a really good use of your time while you're locked in the house. <laughs> Any final tips or words for our readers or writers out there, Heather? Um, I would just say, I mean, you really, I mean, make the time, obviously, make the time for yourself to do it. I guess if you really want to get serious about it, um, maybe after lockdown's over or maybe during <laughs> lockdown, I don't know. But if you really want to, you know, I mean, if you can really just carve out that hour, you know, where you commit to it or two hours and, you know, maybe you build up like working out, you know, you start off with <laughs> 20 reps and, you know, then you, I don't even know. People do that. Out. I don't actually Barely do it. Wait, what? I said, I've heard people do that. I don't actually work out. Yes, exactly. I did do the treadmill today, but, um, you know, you build up to it and then you finally, you know, you're allowed to, you know, call yourself a writer before you're published. In my opinion, you know, you're allowed to, um, you know, make that time and carve it out for yourself and don't let anyone tell you that it's silly if you really want to do it. Wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we certainly want all of our future authors out there to be writing. Um, you can follow our podcast, Once in Future Authors. Every week we're going to have a different author speaking about some, some ticks, tips, insights, and inspiration. And you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are found. And you can find Heather Siegel wherever fine books are so found also. So Heather, thanks for joining us and everybody else. Thanks for having me. Stay in, stay well, and keep on reading. Thanks so much. All right, bye. Thanks so much for joining us for Once in Future Authors. If you've enjoyed the show, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Reviews help other interested listeners to find the show, so your review could launch new books every day. Thanks again for joining us, and happy writing.